we've had another school shooting in Texas. And once again, everybody's response is, what can we do? These things keep happening. So what should the U.S. do about these school shootings? Welcome to The Conquering Truth. I'm Dan Horn. I'm Jonathan Sides. I'm Charles Churchill. And I'm Joshua Horn. In the immediate aftermath of school shootings, the response is always, we need to pass gun control legislation. And with the Democrats in control of the, the White House and Congress, you know, it, it looks like it may actually happen this time. But will that actually solve the problem with school shootings? Well, I mean, I think it's, it's an issue that's very hotly debated on all sides. Um, and it's one where there's a lot of lies. There's a lot of um, misrepresentation that's out there. Um, but I think, you know, when you kind of just look uh, widespread at the, at the response to it, you have, you know, there's the latest shooting take place. And then you have people saying, oh, you know, especially in more recent years, oh, we can't just send thoughts and prayers. We need to do something. But the question is, you know, what, what are you going to do? And I work, I think, going to try to talk about some of their answers and how a lot of them don't seem all that good. But, you know, I, I think it's worth just, I mean, commenting on for a moment, you know, the, the fact that what is a mass shooting, what is a school shooting? I mean, it's really like a culture kind of committing suicide almost. You know, it's, it's a very, uh, I mean, sad thing. And it's something that's not really easy to fix when you look at the root cause. Because, you know, you can try to restrict means and methods and whatever you try to do. But in the end, you have someone who is uh, so, you know, perverted in his mindset that he will go out and kill people, kill innocent people, kill children, whatever it might be. And it's really, you know, really tragic thing for a society to come to. I mean, in fairness to our listeners, you're kind of assuming where we're trying to get to with the podcast when you say, look at the root cause. And you want to say that the root cause is within the twisted soul of a human being, as opposed to the root cause being the availability of firearms and ammunition. Right, right. And, and I mean, that's something that, you know, you, you, look, you look at, I mean, if you take away guns from people, they will still murder each other. And that's something that's indisputable. You know, we, we can, you know, the debate is over whether does limiting guns limit the, reduce the murders because there still will be, you know, people that kill each other. And, you know, you can look at other countries and see that, you know, they, even in the U.S. we've had some recently where people just drive cars into crowds of people. So, you know, if people want to kill others, they will find ways to do it. Even though there are lots of different ways that people kill each other and there are lots of different scenarios, we actually want to talk about school shootings in particular. And there's a reason why school shootings get focused on is because, you know, people aren't willing to give up fundamental rights for other things. But people are willing to give up fundamental rights and they're willing, they're willing to do, people are willing to do a lot if you tell them that doing it will save children. And so school shootings in particular, they frequently end up being the fulcrum by which, even when they talk about other things, they use school shootings as, their, as kind of the primary thing that they use to advance it. And so we really do want to talk about school shootings in particular as we go through here because it is a distinct aspect and it does have, it does have a profile that really, that really matters. And I think it's really important to recognize that part of the reason it gets such traction is because of just how illogical Americans are, that they just can't reason. The reality is a lot more children die every year driving to school than they do in school shootings. 
if you looked at it as the scope of problems as to what causes death among students, suicide's much higher. Drug abuse is much higher. I mean, these things, if we're actually, if our true focus was to try to save children, there'd be some focus on this, but it would be very minor compared to where people are actually dying. And the reality is, is that like the number of kids that died because of school shootings versus the number of kids because of the lockdowns and the suicides because of that, you're talking like different scales. So when somebody comes and says, we have to save our children, everybody needs to kind of take a step back and say, is that really their goal? If that was really their goal, they'd actually tighten up the border between the U.S. and Mexico because that's where most fentanyl comes from. That's where most of the death from drug abuse comes from. And they know it. And there's no question about that. But they aren't saying, for the children, we should do this. They're saying, for the children, we should institute gun control because their objective isn't really to save the children. Right? Yeah, because, I mean, even you look at school shootings are extremely rare considering the number of schools there are, the number of children there are. And, you know, when we're talking about mass shootings, because sometimes they'll, they'll throw numbers out there, and we don't have the numbers, we're not going to go through the numbers, but if you, if you look this up, you can find this, where people will say there's, like, a, a school shooting every day in America. Well, that, the way they calculate that is not things like the recent shooting in Texas. That's not what happens every day. It's things like, you know, someone gets arrested with a gun. They'd accidentally discharge it. Someone hears shots in the distance. You know, there was a gun fired in a vicinity of a school. And so they, there's all kinds of lies that try to inflate the numbers. You know, you were talking about mixing school shootings and mass shootings um, and saying they're all the same thing when a lot of mass shootings are, you know, gang violence. And then even, you know, cut out mass, say, you know, even if all mass shootings were at a school, I mean, still, there's a lot more murders that aren't mass shootings. And so just because, I mean, and it's, un it's as a point, it's understandable because it's little children dying versus people, you know, their spouse murdering them or whatever it might be. Um, and you can understand why, you know, people may have more sympathy for one. But when you look at the comparisons, I mean, it's such, such a tiny amount of the one of the school shootings or even mass shootings versus the people who are dying uh, every day. Yeah, I mean, we do have Education Week tries to to get any shooting that happens either on school property or on a place where they basically done a, a field trip. And their numbers, they have 27 that on their website, they list all 27. And, you know, they say 83 people killed or injured in a school shooting. And then they say 27 people killed. And then they go 24 students killed. Well, what is it? 18 of those were at Uvalde, right? So you look at it, and before that, there weren't many. And if you look at almost all the other events, like you said, some were somebody's gun went off accidentally. A lot of them were people fighting over a girl in a parking lot or two gangs shooting at each other in a football game. Almost none of these events other than this one actually happened inside the school. It's just that it happens at a football game on school property. So they say it's a school shooting. And, you know, even then, again, it's terrible that 27 people have died on property of school, but compared to suicides, <laughs> it's right. like totally different. And this is Education Week who's trying to up the statistics. They're not – they're trying to grab anything they can to put in these statistics. They're not trying to, like, you know, lower them in any way. Their goal is to get 
guns outlawed. And, so, and these are num- are these numbers for this? This is for twenty twenty two. So far, twenty twenty two. And you know, we're as Christians, we're called to be to be discerning, and something that we talk about a lot. And we're we're not supposed to be people who are moved by the hype, who um, get hyper focused on something just because it you know touches an emotional cord when logically there's not much reason to focus on that to the exclusion of, of other things. And I mean, when you look at the numbers, I mean, while school shootings are tragic, it shouldn't be, you know, the sole guiding principle by which we're shaping policy for our, for the country. Especially when one of this magnitude only happens like five, six, seven years. I mean, it's not like they're happening like every week. I mean, just playing with it from another angle, though, since Columbine, there have been a number of, of significant school shootings where many people have died at each one of them. And you want to say that does seem like something relatively new in the culture. Actually, they go back a long time. To some extent, they've gotten more successful at the number of people they kill as opposed to, I mean, there, there were instances back in the 1920s and stuff. So they've gone back a long time. Right. But, but go to, you know... Um, 1700s, 1800s. I, <laughs> right, you know, before there were public before schools. Before there were public schools. No. There <laughs> were very few school shootings. You, had, <laughs> you, had, you, had, you had schools, and, you know, it, it, I, don't, I don't know, to extrapolate back to where there's less population, you know, but I think it is valid to say that, you know, in the last 50, 100 years, it's something that has arisen that was not there to the same level before. Because, you know, you just don't, <laughs> hear about these things and it could just be because nobody talks about it but it does really seem like these things are more of a modern phenomenon even as rarely as they happen probably what's more of a modern phenomenon is for an adult to go into a school and shoot it up as opposed to somebody in that school shooting it up adults used to blow schools up adults right. used to and do bombings used to be a lot more bombings at right. schools and the other thing is is i mean the number so school shootings before the 1970s by students was really very rare you know, I mean, like, like you're talking about a student going in and doing it. But the number of guns at school, I mean, when I was in school, I would go out in the parking lot afterwards and guys would have guns in the parking lot and they would show me their guns. I mean, I graduated in 93. I mean, I understand that's a very long time ago now. But I mean, when you when you throw around the word modern, I mean, modern is modern isn't the you know the year 2000. I mean, modern's modern goes back a good way. I mean, and so when you talk about, you know, modern times, there were a lot of guns at school in school and around school, and there were almost no students shooting other students in school unless it was very specifically gang activity, and nobody attributed that, nobody called that a school shooting. And so where, where, where you know, when everybody wants to say it's guns, it definitely wasn't when guns were in school that the shootings were happening, which is a really, I mean, I think that's a really relevant data point that everybody likes to pretend isn't, you know, doesn't happen. Right, because one of the things that's clear if you look at where most mass shootings take place, although what happened in Buffalo is unique, or but that's New York, which has very strict gun laws. But in most places where the school shooting or the mass shootings happen, they happen at schools because it's illegal to carry guns in schools. They happen at post offices because it's illegal to carry guns in post offices. They they happen at forts because it's illegal to carry a gun in a military installation. I mean, the the places where you know where these school shoot or these mass shootings typically happen are places where nobody can be armed. 
And I mean, what you were saying too is, I mean, I, I've seen pictures in the 1960s where they were training kids in school to use guns because if you lived in certain places, you were expected to know how to shoot a gun. So they taught everybody how to shoot a gun. And that, you know, it wasn't like, oh, no, there's guns in school. It's like, yeah, there's guns in school. We're actually, you know, using them during, you know, physical education. It's part of your physical education program. So there already has been vast gun controls to try to stop school shooting, and it hasn't worked. And so, you know, the issue... The issue is is deeper than that. So I thought it would be worth considering. I mean, they, you know, 11 Republicans since Mitch McConnell agreed to it, too, has come up with a framework to say these are the things that we're going to do to solve solve the gun control problem or the the school shooting problem. So I thought it would be worthwhile just to, to walk through these and. Talk about would these have any effect and, you know, realistically. So just, I mean, one comment before this is why is this being done at the federal level? I mean, we have a Second Amendment to the U.S. Constitution that Congress is not supposed to be restricting guns. Um, that does not stop states from restricting guns. A lot of states have a lot of restrictions on guns. Um, and so there's no reason to do this at the federal level. Um, other there's a than, lot of reason not to do right, it at the federal level. Right, right. Because, because it's, you know, you... When you go to Congress, you take an oath that you won't do it at the federal level. I mean, it's as simple as that. I mean, right. other states, they, some states have very strict, you know, freedoms for guns. Others have less so in their constitutions. But, but I mean, it's a state issue. And so the fact that they're even talking about this is a big problem. Everyone wants to, you know, put a, you know, fix it in some grand gesture and for the whole country and be done with it when, you know, as we'll see, it's not actually going to work even if they did it particularly we're sitting in a year where roe versus wade is very likely to get overturned and it's going to go from being a federal restriction to moving back to the states and at the same time without any thought or any irony the federal government is trying to do something that is actually prohibited to to them in the constitution so i mean it is it's a really that's a really valid point in the sense of why are they you know they know they shouldn't be doing this at the federal level and one of the problems with doing it at the federal level is you can never measure success Right. Right. If Texas did something, then Florida did something, then New York, which did something, then Illinois, you're going to look and you're going to say, well, this worked and this didn't. Right. Which now they see that and they know that and they know, guess what? The higher gun laws in New York haven't reduced gun violence. The stricter gun laws in Chicago haven't reduced gun violence. I mean, you look at the cities and the places that have the worst gun crimes and the most death typically are places that have really strong gun control. But rather than looking at it and saying, clearly, we should model it after the things that work. Instead, what we say is we should take what's been done in those states and let's federalize it. Of course, you know, the answer to that is, oh, we are modeling on what where it's been done this work in places like New Zealand and the UK, where they have done these gun confiscations and where, you know, look, the number of gun deaths have gone down. So, I mean, and... You look at that and, well, I mean, there's a lot more guns in the U.S. than there were in those countries. And so there's one fact. It's just not going to happen. You know, it's not going to happen. Even if they outlaw guns, a lot of people will keep their guns. I mean, there's a lot more guns than people in the U.S. When I was growing up in public school, I can tell you, though, nobody was worried about a gunman coming in and shooting. The big issue was bombs because that's what people did. They blew up schools and they would do bomb threats all the time. And you'd have to evacuate because of bomb threats. In these places that go, oh, we we never have any school shootings. Yeah, but they have bombings. I mean, it's it's again the depravity of man doesn't escape by by all you're doing is restricting their ability to do it. And so one of the things that the federal government wants to do through bribes, 
which is the the biblical term. They want to bribe states to to have more red flag laws. Basically, a red flag law is a means by which the police or the school or the parents or the grandparents or somebody walking next to them on the street can go in and go, I think this person's dangerous and he shouldn't have a judge or shouldn't have a gun. And then a judge goes, fine, we'll take away his rights to a gun. I mean, it's something that sounds like a common sense thing. If there's a dangerous person out there, you take their gun away. Um, But I think it gets more complicated than that. You know, is there due process? Can just anybody make an accusation and then you get your your rights taken away and then it's very hard to get them back? Um, it's something that you can't, I mean, you can't really do for other things. You can get a restraining order on someone, but that is not very restrictive. It's that you can't go talk to somebody who doesn't want you to talk to them. Uh, that's pretty, pretty that very, you know, not really restricting what you can do versus, you know, taking away the right to protect yourself is a lot bigger deal. And I mean, two problems that I have with it. One is that usually it's done without the person's knowledge. So the decision's been made without them mounting a defense, which means due process has been eliminated. And the second is we have a system that's worked somewhat well, which is called the, it's basically where you can commit somebody. If they're actually a danger to themselves or other, you can have them committed. And that requires a trial, and that requires due process, and you enforce it. So if you're saying that this person is so dangerous that they couldn't have a gun, why aren't you basically committing them and saying they're a danger to others? Well, the reason is because that's a much higher standard, and what they're trying to do is reduce the standard. And let's be serious. How many people said that anybody, even in the January 6th hearings, anybody that supports you know, Donald Trump is insane. Well, according to this, you should then take their weapons. And we should have that expectation that politically governments love red flag laws. Right. Because all they have to do is start to redefine what it means to be insane or what it is to be a danger to ever. You're going to vote for Donald Trump. You're a danger. Right. That's what they've said multiple times during the congressional hearings. And I mean, Nazi Germany had red flag laws. If you're a Jew, you're a danger to society, so you can't have a gun. Right. I mean, it's been done before. And you, I mean, the other issue, too, with this one, and kind of all of these, is there's a lot of gun laws that are not enforced. Um, you some, mean on Hunter Biden? You know, Permit for being able to conceal carry, right? Right. Isn't right. That- and, and, and on it, he filled out saying that he had no drug problems, right. which was clearly a which is a common Perjury. thing that people with drug, that drug problems right. say. <laughs> but according to the form that he filled out, it right. could be 10 years in prison and a $25,000 right. fine or something. But yet he, everybody knows that he did this and nobody cares. Right. And, and, you know, and then you look, even say, hey, they are enforcing it some places. But you look at the number of crimes that are, that are committed by felons who cannot have guns and yet they have guns. It's not that hard for felons to get guns. And this is, I mean, red flag would be the same thing as a felon. And I mean, you, you can't get a gun, quote unquote, but you also can easily get one. And the, the bigger problem is tyranny is arbitrary enforcement of laws. And the red flag laws are a real open door to tyranny. Because if they're on your side, like Hunter Biden is, you go, well, that's fine. He has a gun. Yes, he committed perjury, but why would we take his gun away? But if it's somebody that you oppose or is opposed by you know, the government of some of these states, their response is, well, no, he seems like a real danger, so we need to take it away. And these things really give the opportunity for arbitrary enforcement. 
which is what we're saying, like with the recall of the DA in San Francisco. And I mean, arbitrary enforcement is a huge problem right now in the United States because of, of Soros and the DAs that he got elected, that it's a huge problem. And to hand red flag laws over to them seems to be just, you know, so dangerous. And it's not just handing it to the government, it's handing it to your worst enemy. Maybe the person who wants to kill you. If they can file a red flag thing to get your guns taken away and lie however they want. I mean, because you can say a lot of things about people that are not provable to be false. And so, you know, even if the judges are trying to be fair, it's a system with a lot of potential for abuse. Right. You get in an argument with somebody where both of you say you're going to kill the other person and you record him, take it to a judge, his gun's taken away, and then you go shoot him because you know he's unarmed. So the idea of red flag laws just opens all kinds of issues with and in this case would a red flag law have stopped the shooters i mean in this case the shooter but in other cases and i don't think you could actually track it back and think that there'd be any success in any of these cases because even his mother is going i can't believe he shot his grandmother this is unbelievable i just can't believe that or you'll have cases where they were flagged they were flagged and actually brought to the attention of law enforcement. They had actually been arrested. That you know, what I mean, and like you said, they already have means to deal with people, like they, or they were a felon and they weren't. They already weren't allowed to have guns, and right. so I mean, you know, what I mean, they there's, I mean, the, the yeah, reason yeah. why these the reason why red flag laws are so appealing to people is because everybody knows there are people who shouldn't be allowed to have guns, and I mean, I mean, you can there are people you've either met in your life. This person isn't capable of taking care of themselves. This person isn't able to, you know, and you look at them and you say, this person shouldn't be walking around with a gun. And then and then people go, so you see why we need the laws. And like you said, but there are already ways to deal with that. It's just they're harder. Right. And that's and that's exactly it. Is and so it's it's very appealing. And there's this part of it where I mean, you know, like Joshua was saying, right now in the United States, the major category of person who just by their nature cannot have a gun is either you're a child, you're a minor, where you can't go buy a gun yourself, you'd have to be given one by a parent or guardian, or you're a felon. Those are the two, those are the categories in which we as a nation have said you can't have guns. And there's this part of it where, I mean, everybody knows that it's a, that it is a bigger category than that. And and so it's, you know, it's one of those things, where, but as a society, we don't want to deal with the complexity of it. We don't want to deal with the actual nuts and bolts and the hard problem. And so people go, well, we should make it easy. And we go, okay, we'll just make it easy and we'll make it, we'll just leave it up to people's discretion. And it's a horrible solution. I mean, in this, we've touched on this in a lot of different podcasts about the fact of the issue with sin is it's messy. And to deal with it, you actually have to deal with the ugliness of sin. And we don't want to deal with the ugliness of sin. So instead, we try to come up with these little patchwork solutions, and they just cause more problems. I do think as we're talking about this that you know, we should really explain what the Second Amendment is for. The Second Amendment is to protect yourself against the government. Because governments typically kill 10 to 100 times more people in an average year than are killed by individual citizens killing other people. But almost like everything whole, else combined. Yes, I mean, you look, there's, you, it takes a Hitler to kill 10 million. The guns that they had before they were confiscated, nobody was killing. No, you know, it takes a Stalin to kill 70 million. It ta- you know, Pol Pot and the 50 or million or whatever he killed. You look at all these people, it takes governments to kill the vast numbers of people. And our founding fathers understood this and said the way to stop the government from killing the people is for them to have the right to bear arms. 
And so it's important when we think about red flag laws is, is this against the idea of the uh, the Second Amendment to the Constitution? The answer right. is absolutely. This and, is how a political party can can eliminate the means of their enemies from defending themselves. And, you know, we... You know, that's how the American Revolution started. I mean, that's the spark that started it, is the British going to Concord to get the Americans' weapons in Concord. I mean, that's, that's, that's how it all – I mean, that's the spark that started it. And, and you know, I, I mean, everyone knows that guns are needed to, you know, resist people, you know, resist the government because we're sending guns to Ukraine to put into the hands of private citizens. We've talked about this before on the podcast, you know, and then you're saying, well, citizens in America shouldn't have those. I mean, while you're on it, I mean, I was almost going to bring it up earlier, but when people talk about other countries that don't have guns and they don't have these, they don't have school shootings, they don't have murders, let's just remember that during the coronavirus, we saw some of these countries come perilously close to just taking over their citizens. I mean, some of them did, I mean, did it in Canada. Canada, martial law, you know, we're, we're going to, the government's going to step in, we're going to take martial law, we're going to take away things. I mean, and what would the people have done if they went further? What would the people actually have done? I mean, snuck across the border and got guns from the <laughs> right. U.S. I mean, I, I mean, but if you're in Australia, if you're in New Zealand, some of these places, I mean, well, they put a people in concentration camps right. in those countries. And so, I mean, so there's this real part of it where you go, you know, we don't have school shootings over here, and it's like you're you're this far away from just being taken over. You don't have anything between you and that except someone being charismatic enough to convince people to go along with it or who's just willing to pull the trigger and get the military to go with them. That's all that's stopping you. There's nothing else. And and just recognize you say that with a lot of indignation, but there's a lot of people who are okay with those terms. Right. There are a lot of people who are— A lot of people have died because people have been okay with those there terms. There are a lot of people who are okay with— okay. Yeah. Or they think they're okay with it. They're they are they have made peace with that's where I am right now, and I'm going to stay on the good side of the government. Right, right, yeah, and and yeah. There's a lot of people who are even going further than that, which are saying, and we need to do something about our enemies. We need to do something about those who would destroy democracy. We've got to do something about those who would like Trump to be back to be president. And so, I mean. We need to become a dictatorship to protect democracy. Exactly. <laughs> and and there's a lot of people that don't know the terms well enough and know what they actually mean that they'd go along with that. Right. And that's where we are. And so, you know, we should recognize that the Second Amendment is to it's to protect the American system of government. Another thing that's in there is enhanced review for buyers under twenty one, meaning um, that when they do the background check, that they'll check juvenile records. So what do people think about that? I mean, one question is, I mean, this is targeted at a pretty small list, I think, of school shootings where the shooter has been under 21. I don't think the list is all that long. Um, so we're going we're gonna to restrict people all across the country you know, from defending themselves. People who we will send to other countries to shoot people in the Middle East, but they come home and they can't own a gun, potentially. Um, even though they're allowed to do it in other countries, I mean, they're allowed to be conscripted into. You know, they're right. they're forced to register for selective service. Well, the the real issue here is is somewhat different, right? The real issue here is if you're a felon, you can't own a gun. If you kill somebody when you're 16, your records expunged when you turn 18, and you can buy a gun. And that's the loophole they're trying to get around. But the real issue here is if somebody murders somebody. How much should their age matter? 
Right. And I think we have all this separate court system for juveniles. Right. That we look at their felonies and we say, well, but because they, you know, and sometimes it's they kill somebody when they're 16. It takes a year and a half for trial. They're in jail for six months or prison for six months, and then their record's expunged. And we go, that was valid punishment. Again, with the DAs now, they're pushing for this really hard, these, you know, these very liberal DAs. And so... You know, this is a problem that's created by our system, and I don't think this patchwork is going to help that much to fix the problem that's created by the system. And, I mean, it goes both ways, too, because, you know, on the one hand, people, you know, maybe kill kill people, and then, you know, their record gets expunged. On the other hand, there's other times where things get put down as felonies, where, and then it's, you know, hurting you for the rest of your life. Every form you check, you're a felon. You know, you can never own a gun because of a felony. You know, if you, should you be able to commit a felony at 10 that now stops you from owning a gun when you're 65? Probably not. Should, be able to, should you commit a felony? I mean, there are ways to expunge your record. But, you know, th- sometimes things are taken more seriously than they should be as well. And I think that the issue goes back to what, what Charles was saying before is that it's messy to figure these things out. And it's a lot more individualistic. And we want this rubber stamp that we say this is just the way to do it. But I think the problem here is they're trying to overcome a, a broader problem with how do we deal with underage people that are committing really serious and heinous crimes. How about increased penalties for straw purchases? I think this was actually going after Rittenhouse. What's a straw purchase? A straw purchase is like Kyle Rittenhouse. He had a friend of his. He, it wasn't legal for him to buy the gun. So he had a friend of his buy the gun for him to use, and then he would take possession of it when he turned 21 or whenever he was allowed to buy the gun. So he had the gun. It was purchased by a friend on his behalf, and so that's a straw purchase. And the only reason that he wasn't legal was age, not some other restriction. And by law, he could carry the gun. He just could not buy the gun. I mean, the law was set up so that you had to have an adult buy it to say this person is capable of, of wielding this weapon. Part of this is one of the goals that they want to do is they want to make attitudes towards gun to be negative. Right. And so there is this part of it where, you know, it's like you shouldn't buy a gun for somebody else. And if you do buy a gun for somebody else, and there's this part of it where instead of going, you have responsibility for certain things. Instead of making a law, you know, I mean, and this is, this is one of the real issues. Instead of saying, if you buy a gun for someone who's underage and give it to him and he shoots somebody with it, you're responsible. I mean, which is... You know, I mean, this is how you deal with children. I mean, it's like, and this is one of the things we'll even talk about as we get down to it with the schools is one of the issues is, is parents aren't teaching their children not to do these things. I mean, this is, and so there is this real problem is the law has, the law has this desire to not, it has a desire to make society responsible. It wants to make the thing the negative and the evil thing, as opposed to making human action the, the problem and to actually making the law so that it identifies who did the wrong thing and what they did was wrong and that they were responsible for what they did. And so I think there is a real problem with the way we, all these laws are kind of being structured. And it's, I mean, that's just basic Marxism, right? Because the idea of Marxism is you publish this, you publish the idea of Marxism is you punish the group for individual actions because no individual is responsible for their actions. So you always do the punishment at the group level, not the individual, the individuals just responding to the nature of the group. Right. And so that's what they're trying to do here. I mean, I look at all of these things we've talked about, look at the ones that we're going to talk about, and, and and we keep asking the question, well, will that work? And, you know, just basic common sense says, no, it's not <laughs> going to work. 
places that have tried these things, they haven't worked. So really the next step is gun confiscation. I think that's kind of what all of this is. If somebody's playing chess politically, that's where they're moving towards is gun confiscation. And one of the ways that you enable gun confiscation is you have all sorts of registries and background checks at point of sale. Um, and you and you keep taking small steps until you can get the point where people go, these small steps aren't working, we just have to ban them all. Right, right, we have to ban and confiscate. So another uh, big part of the book, Bill, is mental health services. To get mental health services in schools, you know, I think it even another point was school-based mental health and service funding, meaning that it's they're going to increase all mental health funding, and then they're also going to start giving money to each school about mental health. So will that work? I mean, we did an episode on mental health and, and mental illnesses. I mean, and we talked about the fact that one of – I mean, when you even <clears throat> look at mental health itself, I mean, in, in the state – in the United States and in the world – the way they think about people, the way that the mental health or, you know, organizations and the way training and the way doctors think about people, it's not the way God's, it's not the way God talks about people. It's not the way the Bible talks about people. It's not the way God talks about sin. And so, and again, this problem is it's really useful because everybody's seen somebody who you go, that guy's got something wrong with him. He shouldn't have a gun. And so you go, well, of course, if there's, if you could just identify that he has a mental health problem, then you can help take, you know, that, that'll be great. And then he gets the help he needs. But everything that we've done in the last, everything that we've done since we've had this attitude and increasing attitude towards mental health problems is mental health problems have increased dramatically. The number of mental health problems have gone up. I mean, just much, much faster than school shootings have. Right. I mean, one thing, I mean, there's a few things there. One is their mental health treatment is almost always drugs. I mean, right. the psychiatry business, which is what it is, has basically given up on anything except drugs. Basically, you dope them up enough so that they can't do anything, and then you go, oh, look, they can't do anything anymore. That's kind of their only answer. That's what they've come down to. It's, it's not like you sit on a, you know, a couch and you tell the psychiatrist your problems. That never worked, and so they moved on, and now they just dope people. And the way they've avoided that, making that everybody, is they've brought more people into the fold. So there's a larger percentage of people who are just getting enough drug just to give them a, a muted, you know, I mean, because now many more people, I mean, the number of people who get drugs for mental health problems has increased to, it's like one in, is it one in three? I was thinking one in three. I mean, that that's like the number at which they're talking <clears throat> about now of people that, that have some sort of prescribed treatment for mental health issues. And one thing that I want to say is that when you look at schools dealing with mental health issues, I would argue that most of schooling, most of what they do, most, not a side thing, but most of what they do, intentionally introduces mental health problems. What's the best way to introduce a mental health problem? It's to tell people lies or truth. Because mo most mental health problems come down to a detachment from reality. And if you go, oh, you were born a boy, even though you're a girl. You're trying to teach mental health. Or just tell them that people can be born boys who are girls. That's what just I was going right. to say. Not even just They're them. But right. Just and then all of a sudden you have in, in like New York now, 20% of the students identify as transgender or whatever the term of the week is. I mean, this is like amazing how successful the schools are at teaching people to have mental health issues. 
And the idea that you're going to solve the mental health issues in schools is absolutely ridiculous because the lies they tell, the things they teach students, the things that they say that the students must accept, all these things produce mental health problems. So one of the reasons that I would argue that these things are going up is because the schools have actually found something that they're capable of doing, which is teaching people to have mental health problems. Right. And specific to the school shootings, I don't know about the case in Texas, but with most of the other school shootings, there's a pretty a, a pretty straightforward profile for what a school shooter is. It's usually a young man. It's usually somebody who comes from a broken home of some kind or other, some kind of family problems, usually some sort of anger issues. And in almost all those cases, and I only say almost because I can't guarantee it, they're already in psychiatric treatment and they're already on some kind of drugs. Um, so, you know, in a sense, the system's already captured them, the system for what it is, and it hasn't worked. And now you can ask a question from the other side, was there a causal relationship between the drugs and pushing them over the edge? And nobody wants to ask that question. Nobody wants to say, hey, look, all of these school shooters, well, not only do they have guns, let's blame the guns, but all of these school shooters are on some kind of antidepressant. And I don't think it's even some kind. I think most of them are on the same one. I read at least one study that said they did a, they did a specific study of school shooters and said that there was not a trend of them being okay. uh, on psychotic. I mean, I was looking at that last week and a little bit this week as well, and so and I didn't get a chance to pull the full date, the full source of it. But that was, it was you know. I know at one point that was a leading theory is that one specific right. drug tended to trigger it, but that could have been when they're every five years or something. It's really hard. To determine a pattern right especially when tens of millions of people are on these drugs right and then you have and and, and tens of millions of troubled people are on the drug and then a troubled and a person that goes and chooses school is a troubled person so it's hard to draw correlation there but there's and, a lot but there's a lot of items on this list where it's hard to draw a correlation right harder than that or and if you have the correlation what makes you think you're going to be successful We've stopped, and this is true for Fauci and the COVID stuff. This is true all over the place. We've stopped having an expectation that science actually produces measurable results. So we say more mental health services. Has anybody measured how much mental health services have helped? I think if you do, what you find out is they've made matters worse. They're helping more people today than they ever have. Exactly. <laughs> they never they never solve the problem. They're they gonna just make perpetuate it up the problem. Yeah. <laughs> and so, I mean, this idea that you'll do more funding for mental health services, fine. That means that the woke group of people, because psychiatry tends to be a very woke group of people, will get more money. That's right. what this means. Right. It doesn't mean that you'll actually help people because the woke people – want to lie about what people are like. And if you lie about people are like, you can't help their mental problems. Right. The next one is clarification of definition of a licensed dealer. I'm not even sure this seems like such a minor Well, I mean, issue. I think it could be a pretty major one, you know, depending on, I haven't read the law. Well, there, there is no law. There is no law. There's a set of bullet points. I mean, but potentially this could be a big issue where if you're selling more than one gun, you need to be a licensed dealer. Um, so it could potentially be a really big issue where if you are someone who buys and sells guns more than, you know, 
once a year or once a decade or whatever the rule ends up being where now you have to go through a licensed dealer, which, I mean, and it's kind of true for most of these, you know, for most people, I mean, they're not banning guns. They're not banning guns for people under 21. I mean, you know, there might, there's some people probably really worked up about this, but in the end, for some people, these are going to have a major impact. For most people, they're not. And you, but this is the way, this is the way that government, that government damages the rights of individuals. I mean, and because they'll come in there. Because in the end, like I said, it, it's going to the number of people that I know that it's going to impact is going to be very minor. But in the end, in the end what they're because what they're going after is people that would sell a gun at a gun show, right? Because that's the loophole. Regardless of what they talk about, that's that's the loophole they're trying to close. And I don't know. I've I think I've bought a gun at a gun show before. Well, I mean, it's not well, – if it's thought, all of a sudden that you do it twice in 10 years that you have to be well, a licensed dealer, if that if starts to affect you. If it's twice in 10 years, it's going to affect a large but, number of people. But it also isn't going to affect you that much because you pay the dealer the fee, you do the thing, you spend an extra $100, you have yeah. to go to it, drive to a yeah, dealer. government but registry. as soon as you do that no, – I'm, <laughs> I'm not saying that these are – I'm not saying these are good things to do, these are smart things to do, these aren't infringing on rights, but the sky isn't falling – you're ever, you're no, but, what, but I guess what I'm saying is, is as soon as they do that, then all they have to do is start changing the regulations for dealers and what you have to do to be a dealer. And, you know, you have to pay this you have to pay this fee every year, this registration fee every year. And they just – you triple that registration fee. And all of a sudden, the number of people who can stay in business, that cuts them in half. I mean, it's – so, I mean, it's one of these issues where it, it looks like this minor thing. It's a really effective way to take control of an entire market. And, I mean, it's – and so, I mean, these types of things, they become very useful. Anytime you – anytime government says we need to shut down the fundamental liberty of, of a people and they don't have a direct sin that they're actually going after, they don't – they're not trying to stop a sin, there's an issue. But the thing – I mean, to, to, get, to be fair to them, I mean, they are trying to stop a really – Grievous sin. No, but they're not. But I'm saying the thing that they're they? the, the liberty that they're taking away isn't the sin that they're trying to stop. They're saying this contributes to it downstream, and so I mean this isn't this isn't. But I don't think when you take like clarifying the definition of a licensed dealer, I don't think you can take and track that to reducing any of the school shootings. None. Well, they wanted. They need to do something. They, they something bad has happened, and, and they want to do something. There are easy and things they to want do to and do hard something. things to do. Yes, right. well, yes. But, but I, I mean, you know, are there some people plotting to take away everyone's guns? Maybe, yes. probably, yes. I mean, I mean, you know, uh, realistically, Biden, this is going to yeah. happen. I mean, I, well, I mean, some people. I mean, like you know, whatever his name is, Beto O'Rourke. Yeah, yeah. But in I Texas, mean, President Ted Biden said to, to take everything away, to take all the guns away too. Yeah. Not all the guns, but, but I mean, is it, is it going to happen? No, but the issue, the real issue is this. It's, the, it's not going to get taken away. But these laws, the people they impact are the lawful. What they impact, I mean, I, I have an obligation to obey the law unless it directly interferes with something that God has commanded me to do. And there's a lot of things on here you could do and you could impose on me that I would have to follow, and I would follow it. But somebody else who doesn't care about the law, they're not going to follow it. And so that what it's going to do is it's going to impact people who are lawful. And that's the issue. When they make these laws, they, they pretend like it primarily inconveniences the unlawful. And, and they're just, I mean, this is not what laws do. Laws are made for transgressions. They're made for transgressors. And their goal here is to actually make you not do things if you're lawful. 
Well, like this. I mean, I'm sure part of the, you know, clarifying the definition of a licensed dealer is to drive up the cost of guns, right? right? I mean, that's, you can drive it up by the licensing fees. You can drive it up by the reporting costs. You can drive it up. Yep. And they've driven up the cost of guns a lot by doing these kind of things. Um, but, I mean, it, we're, we're, I'm kind of straying from what we're talking about here. But, I mean, but why, but why I'm not, why I don't have a, as much, uh, you know, imminent concern about this is because, I mean, you look at the country and there's a lot of people who really love guns. I mean, I like guns. I have guns. You know, I'm, you know, and I'm, you know, in- interested more than most gun owners in, you know, the history of civil uh, resistance um, and, you know, the dangers to it. Um, but, you know, a lot of people are very concerned about guns. If people spend less of their time being concerned about their guns being taken away and more about solving the problems in society, spreading the gospel, you know, fighting the, act- the sins, you know, in the Bible sins, not that, you know, gun confiscation wouldn't be a sin, but the serious, you know, abominations in the land. If they spent more time on that, I think we'd be in a much better place. Because even if a time came where you need to resist, what you need more than guns is godly leaders. You know, China will send us guns if we need guns. You know, not that we, it's fine for them to take the guns, but in the end, what you need is, is godly leaders. I agree with everything you just said. I don't think it has anything to do with what I was saying. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I understand exactly what it has to do with that. Meaning the point is, is that, that yes, this is something to fight, but there are I'm big battles out there. I'm not talking about fighting it. We're just talking about why it's a bad idea. Right. <laughs> and, that's, and that's all I mean is, is I think it's a bad idea and... I'm not sure that there's an easy way to fight against it right now, but the way you fight against it is what he's talking about will actually cause it to be fought against because right. it'll increase people thinking about things. It'll increase people. People will actually think about problems at a more granular level because that's what the Bible does. But at the end of the day, the reason why it's wrong doesn't have anything to do with it's wrong whether you spend all your time thinking about guns or not. And, it, and it, it's useful to think about because it's the means that the government frequently uses to control behavior. Right. Where they're saying one thing, but what they're really doing is something else. They're saying what we're trying to do is get everybody licensed, but what they're really trying to do is increase the cost. Or that's at least the net effect. Whether it, whether it was their, they understood that or not, although I would argue that a lot of times our leaders are smart enough to understand what the consequences are of some of their actions. But they do a lot of things selling it as one thing when its real purpose is something else. And it's very valid when we look at what the government is doing is to go, are they selling us a bill of goods about one thing when they're doing something else? This, this you know, gun control legislation framework was to stop school shootings. What does clarification of the definition of a licensed dealer have to do with stopping school shootings? They're selling it in a different way than what their goal is. How about protection of domestic violence victims? This is even more obvious, right? This is basically now if you have a restraining order against your husband or he got charged with domestic violence, then he can't get a gun. And now they're going to make it if your boyfriend does it, he can't get a gun. And it has nothing to do with school shootings again. <laughs> it has nothing to do with school shootings and again, at all. It just, and it falls, I mean, this falls into the category of Either make them felons, don't make them felon. You know what I mean? It's like there's already right. Or if you say there's a certain class of law that's right. violent that this is should define right. But it seems to me it's better long- just to change it to define it to be a felony. Right. Because the point of a felony is it's serious enough that the government can charge without the person being involved. Right. For a misdemeanor, the person has to say I want to charge for a felony. 
the government says, I, we don't need, we ourselves have been offended by it. Right. And so if it's that bad that the government's saying this person is a risk to the government, to other people, then to society at large, then it should be a felony. Right. We kind of talked already about the school-based mental health services and funding that put the funding down at the school level, which is already failing to, to help people's mental health anyway. And so then the last one is school safety resource funding, which is basically to put more people with guns into the schools. And I that mean, one might actually help a little. It might. I mean, I mean, you know, I mean, that one I could actually, I could actually see rationale or at least thinking that might tie it to practical things that you could do that could work. And some of it is that school safety resource funding is not just for additional people. That's also for additional training. What do you do if you have a barricaded shooter? Right. Right. I mean, what do you do if, you know. Now, I would actually argue that a much more effective way would be to have somebody check to make sure doors are locked. Right. Yeah, and I, That I would mean, actually solve. And, and, and that, that would have solved Evaldi. That could fall under that. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think that falls under that the way they defined it. Okay. But, and another more effective way, instead of Washington, D.C. printing money to do this, filtering it through who knows how many levels of bureaucracy, through the federal government, through the state government, through the school board, to the school, would be, you know, the parent-teachers associations for every school getting together and saying, is our school safe? Do we want to get some money to make the school safer? I mean, that would be right. way cheaper and way more effective. Maybe the parents would actually say, what's being taught in these schools anyway that allowed this behavior to be accepted so that you get to the point where it manifests itself worse and it causes people to die? So what are some answers? I mean, one of the answers that people are saying is, you know, well, if the police came earlier, you know, should we have any expectation that police should be able to stop school shootings? I mean, there's a lot of people that are very upset about how the police responded in Texas to the shooters, how they stood out there for an hour. I mean, what should we expect police to do? I mean, their motto nationwide is protect and serve. And I don't see how standing outside the school for an hour is protecting and serving. I mean, and part of it is, is we, the, the police are both billed as, and they think of themselves as in some way, something different than they actually are. And then they actually can be. And so there's a part of it where the police are in, the police are in somewhat of an unfair place. I mean, like I think you know they're not the military; they don't have military training. That's not that's not what they primarily do. And so, and then there's this expectation all of a sudden that in a pinch they're going to act in a way that's very different than what all their training has been. But, and but, it's I mean, really been... hard to act that way. I mean, to pretend like it's not. I mean. The military basically takes six or eight weeks and breaks people down, right? That's what boot camp is for, is to break people down to the point where they're looking to the rest of their unit and basically saying, I can't shame myself before the rest of my unit. And that's how you get a military to attack a position. And the police are not trained like that at all. And we want to act like people will naturally do this. And the reality is, most won't. Maybe they will for their own child. But especially, it's not uncommon for them in police training to say, and remember the most important thing, to go home to your family at the end of the day. And if they're telling them that, we should have no expectation that they'll charge into a gun. 
And that's what they're telling them. And I mean, I agree that it's a, it's a high standard. And it's a standard where, I mean, you read about people who've been in combat. And, you know, the people who are out there all gung-ho about it. Often they are, you know, curled up in a ball in minutes. Right. Um, so, you know, when speaking on this issue, I mean, it's important to be humble about it. Um, because, you, I mean, I, to, at a point, you don't know how you're going to react in that type of situation. But then again, I mean, it's not a borderline issue. I mean, <clears throat> I was reading the verse in Nehemiah where he's saying, go to the wall and take your swords. We have a responsibility to do that. But the only people that would actually should be willing to do that are those that have trust in where they'll go for eternity. You can't expect somebody who's going to go to hell and who's a slave of their sin to be willing to lay down their life. I mean, I think that that that's what people should be like. That's what we're, That's what Christians are are like is what the bible says that we are willing to lose our life but that's not how most people are but even a, and even a christian shouldn't throw away his life no to go you know what i mean i mean there's and there's this part where there can be a situation where your assessment of the situation is is if i charge in there i have a very high chance of getting shot and being killed and there's someone in there waiting to shoot me you know what I mean? And there's other situations where you hear the person shooting, you can tell where they are, and moving in is can be safer. And I mean, but there are, but I mean, or you have 50 people charged, which right? I mean, it's, so, so I mean, there is, I mean, there is a, I think there, I mean, I because I've I've moved, I've I've been at very different positions over the past week as I've kind of thought through different things. I used to work with police and with with paramedics and with different groups, fire departments and things, and and I think there's a part of it where we've gotten to the point where we've bought into the hype, we've bought into the marketing for for what these organizations are they've told they've told them and they've told themselves that there's something more than they are and we sh- and we have an expectation i think that's higher than it think than is reasonable but I, but it's not i mean i but i mean they were they were having to handcuff parents oh, it's wrong for them to handcuff parents they're having to handcuff unarmed parents and the parents had but i'm saying it's wrong for them to, to handcuff the parents but the parents i would have went in I would have went in for my son. I hope I would have went in for my son. You know what so, I, mean, I mean? But I mean, you know. But I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have expected you to go in for my son. But you should. You should. I mean, that's why. Your duty. Really? I, I, it's not everybody's duty to die for somebody else's right. shot. Well, but, we'll cut out unarmed. But if you're armed, it's your duty to. If, but, and you know this is going. That's your. I mean, it's your duty to. Now, is it your duty to do? You know, I mean, we could create all kinds of scenarios. But I mean, it's the duty to to stop evil. And or who, or one who thing, will do it? Because the, the police won't do it. If it's not our duty, who's going to stop it? What I'm saying is, is there's a situation where I don't think everybody has a duty to just charge in. Well, I mean, I mean, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to say that everyone needs to immediately charge in. But I think what I will say is we have a problem with it and withholding cowardly police officers accountable. Because you look at, uh, I think it was the Parkland shooting, and multiple officers were fired. For their failure to act, I, I and don't then have the any courts pr- force them to reinstate them as police officers. Now, that's a problem. You right? have this police. I mean, and this police chief. You know, I mean, there were sixty officers there. I'm not here to judge every single person. And you know, even the police chief. You know, maybe fuller facts will come out. I mean, it is important that these things be worked through. But as it stands now, I mean, he's in charge, and he has lied about why he didn't send people in. Right. First, it was, I mean, on the scene on the day. 
you know, I think body cams or whatever it was, he says, we want to, you know, save our lives, make sure we do it safely. And now it's, oh, well, we couldn't find the key for an hour. Well, you're, you're lying. And it sounds right. like, I mean, the, the issue was. I don't have any problem doing one about, I don't have any problem talking about how that as America, we've moved more towards being cowardly. Right. And I think that's. I think that's true as a nation. I think it's true across the board. I think I think you wouldn't have had the coronavirus happen, the response to the coronavirus happen the way it did if we hadn't have been moving in that direction for a long period of time. And so I do think that's true. But I think that's in the, but I think that's separate from our default expectation of the police in certain situations and people looking at like what we're talking about now is are police the answer to school shootings? And I would say no. And, and I, I, I don't, you know, I and, would say no. And I not think the you answer. know, it's it's interesting because the police are willing to be brave, non cowardly in certain circumstances. The ones that they're much more likely to deal with on a regular basis. And so, all of a sudden, you're in a situation where, yeah, maybe you were trained once, maybe you were trained every year, but it's nothing you ever thought you were going to run into. And it's hard to get a group of people to charge an armed position. It's just hard. And I understand you're saying it's their duty. And I'm just saying that's so, not what people are like. So let's change the motto to we bring the crime scene tape and the chalk to mark the body. That is what it should be. I agree. I mean, that's what their protect, motto should I mean, be. You know, and and, just, and get them out of the way at right. times. And, and, you know, you have they, they handcuff the, you know, parents and they and, you know, Groups say, you know, take the guns away from everyone. The police need to protect us. You know, we can't, you can't have the police standing outside while we're saying no, only the police need guns because they'll fix the problems. Because right. those they, they are not the that answer. That is That's something what I mean. we can all 100% I agree, 100% agree on. And I, don't, and I don't even, I don't even fundamentally disagree with you on the aspect of there was, there was cowardice present in what affected their response. I just think there's this part of it where if you go, they would they should have just charged i mean i think there are people who just they turn around and they go they should have just run in they should have been willing to face whatever situation was there i think that's being unrealistic as well i, I mean there's, so, there's lots of details but i mean if i knew someone who said oh yeah i saw this guy's running into a school with a gun and i got out of there you know we'd have a difficult conversation right. it would be you know we it's hard but you know if you i mean if you have a gun and you're there you have a duty to but, and that's to stop things now and part of the issue joshua is that our schools have taught cowardice for the last 30 years. They've taught cowardice. They've said being a coward is the right thing to do. It's very actively taught. And then we can't be surprised when you have a 25-year-old that for 12 years was taught to be a coward when he acts like a coward. The reality is when you're told, oh, if anybody says anything that hurts your feelings, you should go cry to the teacher and get them in trouble because they're a bully. Well, you're training somebody to be a coward. When I was in school, if somebody did that, it would be like, what in the world's wrong with you? Just deal with it. If he said something that offended you, say something back or walk away. It's Don't come whine to a teacher about it. But we've been spending the last 20 years teaching people not to be like that. To go, oh, no, this is horrible. And then we're surprised that the police act like that. Well, why do we think? Do we think they didn't come from our culture? Do they think that they didn't come from our society? We, this is what we train. This is what we should expect to get. Right. And I mean, there's the, the training. I mean, uh, you had mentioned before about how Christians are the people who have the understanding that there's more than this life, um, which is, you know, true. 
Um, and and when you when Christian principles, because you can, I mean, Christian principles can be taught without Christianity being believed by the people. And when you strip out the Christian principles, when you say that the only thing that matters is this life, um, you know, we're out for ourselves. Morality <laughs> the only thing is that matters is your little feelings. It's even worse, right? Right. So why would you? I mean, why would you expect people? to run into buildings. Why would you expect if your life is miserable and filled with rage that you wouldn't take that out on kids? I mean, because I mean the root, the Which root of cowardice is more. the same as, is the root of, you know, the school shooters. I mean, a lot of them, there's a certain cowardice unwilling to face the troubles in their life and just taking out anger on other people. I mean, but, but, the, but, you know, it's not something only for Christians. I mean, a lot of other societies have taught a lot of principles, um, you know, even societies with very little Christian influence have taught that, you know, there's honor um, to defending the weak. There's honor to dying for your country, for your glory, wh- whatever it might be. Um, and they taught the principles that even from a non-Christian perspective, those principles are being lost. Right. And the fundamental principle that they teach is the world's not about you. It's about God, it's about the culture, it's about your ethnic group, it's about somebody else, so therefore you should be willing to lay down your life for them. What America teaches is the whole world is about you. What you believe is true, regardless of what anybody else says. When you do that and when you teach that the center of the universe is you, why would you ever charge into a building like that? And that's what, that's what our society teaches, and that's what we get. One of the arguments that gets made frequently is, like Joshua said in the middle of this, people keep saying citizens don't need guns because the police will have guns and they'll take care of problems. That's flat out false. Anyone should just absolutely reject it. They should absolutely reject it. Aside from the fact that the police, if they're only people who have guns, will be more likely to use their guns on you if they think that you're everyone else is unarmed. They're also, even if they only did good things, they're not going to take care of you. They cannot. That There's is not a, the solution. You know, and to put in a good word for the police, I mean, there are many brave police officers. Yes, absolutely. You know, probably every day who put themselves in harm's way to save people. But that doesn't mean that you can count on them. One of the ways you can tell a good police officer if he tells you that you can't depend on the police to take care of you all the time. <laughs> if any police officer tells you that you can depend on the police to take care of you in every situation, I would question whether he's a good police officer. I mean, there's, a, there's an interesting book called The Ordinary Man that's about the police in Nazi Germany who were sent to Poland to murder people. And they were the only ones with guns, and they were told, go and kill these people. And they kill all these, you know, they'd have trains come up, and they'd unload all the, the Polish Jews off, and they'd just murder them, right? And this was just from a little village or little city in Germany. And it's very interesting just hearing what these people thought and what they did and what, how they responded. We just need to understand that if we did the same thing in America where we took all guns from everybody, we shouldn't think our police will be as the same level of integrity that their police was were because they had better training. They had better, more Christian principles in their schools than we do. And so it's useful just to think through what the police would be like if all the guns were taken. Because we have an example. And, and, I mean, as a corollary to that, I mean, the point of that isn't how bad the police are, but how bad normal people can become. Because, you know, if there was some scenario where the police are fighting the citizenry with guns, I mean, it would be on the citizen. It would be both sides, probably potentially even worse from the citizens. Absolutely. If all the police officers had were billy clubs and the citizens had guns, the citizens would be no better. 
I would definitely agree with that. And with the training, they'd probably be worse. So what what are answers to school shootings? We've been dealing with, well, what do you do when somebody goes into a school armed and, and you know, where all the children We've are gathered been, together. Yeah, where all the children are gathered together and, and no, there's nobody armed there to resist them and they have guns. And, you know, so we're, we've been sort of dealing with it at that level without asking the obvious question or saying, well, one of the ways that you could deal with school shootings is eliminate the schools. Yeah. Shut, yeah, I mean, it, it's a novel approach. <laughs> but the, the, the world existed for a very long time without having standardized, without having public education. Public education, public education really is a, the key there. I mean, it's, I, I would argue for lots of, I would argue that it's better for parents to directly educate their children. But if parents want to pay to put their children in school and have school, that's something they can do. But and shutting down the school. they can organize it and they can figure out what the best way to protect their children is. Right. I do think one of the big things is to shift the response. If you want to fix the problem, you shift the pro- the government saying, we can't solve the problem, so we're going to do things that will potentially solve the problem next time because we haven't done it so far. The answer is shift the responsibility back to the people who are responsible. Right. The people who God gives responsibility to are the parents. Right. The people who will run in to save their children. Like I mean, I mean, I think, I mean, what you're talking about, parents will do a lot for their children, and there's been this. There's been this experiment that we've been doing for a long time where the government comes in and says, hey, we'll, we'll take your kids off your hands so you can, you'll be free to go and do these other things. And your children are still your responsibility, but, you know, we're going to take over a lot of that responsibility. And there's this part of it where, I mean, there's this game going back and forth of playing, like, who's really in charge. And if you actually made sure the parents understood if your child goes and shoots somebody, you're responsible. If something happens, you're the one that's responsible. That's how you shut the schools down. That's how you actually cause there to be a shift. Because right now, we're playing this game where there's just quasi-authority, quasi. But, I mean, the government knows they have authority over the children because they were putting parents in handcuffs. They know at the school site the parents do not have authority over their children there because the parents weren't allowed to go in. Every day at Six seven thirty in the morning, the government will send a big metal yellow bus around, and they'll collect all the children and they'll take them to a government institution. They might even lock the doors, and when they're done with their, your children, you can have them back. Yeah, and and when and when they have them, when you theirs. say it like that, it just sounds weird. But that's what we've bought, and they'll teach them to be good citizens. And it was. It's interesting because don't right, shoot each other. when you when you look at it, there is a shift that happens in the seventies when the Department of Education comes about. Because before that, the people who were seen as responsible for the schools was the school board. The school board was the one that had the responsibility for curriculum. They were the ones that had responsibility for for safety. They were the ones that you know, everything. And the school board was supposed to be parents that are elected by the parents in the community to represent them so that the school was controlled by the parents. And then the Department of Education was started, and it basically usurped all the authority and shifted it and made it the federal government's deciding what the schools are like. So now you go to a school board meeting and say, this curriculum's bad, and they go, well, this is the approved curriculum by the government. This is the only thing we can do. We have nothing to do with that. All we do is budgets for capital. And so 
the removal of that authority. If you have schools, what you have to do is get the authority back to the people that are associated with those schools, the people that have children in those schools, the people that aren't the experts, like we've done a podcast on experts. We've been willing, the parents in this country have been willing to say, my education is going to be turned over, the education of my children is going to be turned over to experts who know nothing, nothing. I mean, they're they're not scientific. They just come up with theories and fads, and they're, and it's horrible. But what they've accepted is they're the ones that are responsible because the federal government has said this is what we're going to do. And the reality is parents have to start being responsible for their children. During the hearings for that before Congress, um, there, there was this, and you can find it online, but Jay Gresham Macon was asked to come and testify before Congress, you know, and, and he's famous Princeton theologian at the time. And the whole thing is worth a read, but there's this one quote in there where at some point, and he was very opposed to it, and he said, because if you give the bureaucrats the children, you might as well give them everything else. And it's like, you know, I, earlier Joshua said, you know, why are we talking about, why are, why are we so concerned with, oh, keeping our guns? And in a sense, you can see that's right, where where we think that the fight over school shootings and the the imposition of all these extra gun laws is really about guns when we kind of already lost the battle when we gave the government the children right. in the first place. That's why we're having this discussion now is because we lost a worldview battle in the 70s. And I think, you know, the church has to regain the worldview. In Deuteronomy 6, 5 through 7, tells what the worldview is supposed to be. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. Parents, Christian parents, need to come back to, I'm the one that's responsible for the education of my children. You can't turn around and go, well, my child thinks he's a, you know, was born a boy, but now he's a girl and complain. Well, that's because you've accepted the worldview of our society, which is incredibly damaging, incredibly damaging and creates people that need drugs, creates people that have all these false delusions of the world and how it works. And, you know, they have their own truth that's separate from reality and all these problems. So many of them come back that the that the church has lost the basic Christian, I mean, this aspect of the basic Christian worldview is parents have the responsibility to teach their children. And the, I think it's important to say you're not going to shut down the schools tomorrow. I mean, I think there's this part where sometimes Christians have this idea of some, you know, dictatorial force coming down and shutting down the schools. And, I mean, God can do what he wants to, but, I mean, you don't want to pray and ask God to do that either. When God does that, it's usually some form of horrific judgment. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, when we look at the Department of Education, it's not that old. It hasn't—some of these things haven't been around that long. And so I think there's this part of it where we go, things only move in one direction. That's just not true. Truth has power, and these things can move back, and they can change. During the coronavirus— People saw how ridiculous the public education system was. You can shut down schools overnight <laughs> right. if you're God. Right, and right. God, right. God did shut down the schools. But and, why are we working so hard to reopen them is the big question. Right, and so, I mean, and so in the end, I mean, I think there is this part of it where we, yes, the schools aren't going to shut down tomorrow, but we should actually understand that it's not this impossible <laughs> thing. So if schools don't shut down, I mean, one thing that, that really struck me is – you know, about a week after Uvalde, 
there was another school shooting that almost nobody heard of, which was in Gadsden, Alabama. Only this school, this guy who was going to go into a school and every evidence is he was going to shoot up the school, he found a locked door. And so the police got there three minutes later, and that's a situation they're used to dealing with. A guy with a gun trapped against a building. Right. (laughs) Where you have the motor between you and them, and you're shooting above the car. I mean, you're protected. You have a shield. You don't have. And they shot the the man, and I believe he died. And no students were hurt. No students even knew it happened. And a lot of times we look at something like Uvalde and go, why did the police go in? Why didn't the police go in? And I would ask the question, why didn't everybody check that door to make sure it was locked? Because if it was locked, we would probably not talk about this at all. And then people go, but how can you say only one door in? I've worked at major corporations that have 500 people in the building that had one door that you could go through. Right. And they're acting like because these corporations want to protect their computers, they can lock all the doors except one, except a school you can't. Right. Because the reality is when it is one point of entry and they go into that point of entry, every teacher, by the time, if they have to shoot the person or whatever to get in, every teacher can immediately lock the door. And there's never been a case where a school shooter has gone through a locked door. And so sometimes we're going, fix the guns, take away everybody's guns, when the reality is making sure a self-locking door locks would have actually stopped it. How much money would you have to actually spend to make sure, to just really drill it in to go, the most important thing in the entire school is that all the other doors are locked and that, right? I mean. But how many, you've been in lots of big businesses yes. too. How many of them have any problem with that? Right. All their doors are locked. Right. This isn't rocket science. This is like as basic as you can get. Right. And you could put alarms on the other one so that if they get open and the alarm goes off, I mean. It's, when it's, I worked at a fast food restaurant. And you left the door open for more than 30 seconds and alarm because you had to have time to take the trash out and come back in. And if, and it may have been a minute, but if you had the door open for more than a minute, there was an alarm went off that everybody in the building knew it was going off. Really simple, really simple technology, really simple solutions. The reason they don't do things like that is because they want the agenda. Right. They don't want to Because the reality the is some of these things – some of these things like are pretty simple that every business knows how to do. Every right. business knows how to do this. If you don't want people coming in that are unauthorized, you have one point of entry. This is a really common thing in politics is there are things where you don't want a solution to the problem because you want the issue. And there are things where you can see and you can say, why don't they do something about this? Why don't they do something about this? If there is an obvious solution and they don't do it, and there's nothing like poli- like the Second Amendment. Yes, you, you you can't just overturn the Second Amendment, take away all the guns. That's not a simple solution. But when there really is a simple solution, like lock the doors and put alarms on it, and they don't do it, it's because they want the issue. They want the issue because they want to keep pushing and saying this is a problem and it can't be solved any other way. Everyone they say is always gun control, gun control, gun control. Right, because you have, I mean, you have many teachers across the country who have concealed carry. They can carry their gun every other day of the week or every other, every other place they go, uh, they would take any class to get certified, and they cannot get certified right. because that's the law. And, you know, you get mocked for suggesting that you allow, t- you know, teachers to carry guns. Right, right, because that's obviously another aspect of the solution. But, I mean, the, the real 
the real solution to have to come deeper than this. Because, I mean, you, I mean, putting locks on the school doors, you know, sure. Uh, but where there are, you know, wicked people out there, they'll find people to kill. If they don't, if they aren't going to go shoot up the school, maybe they'll shoot up the Sunday school class. Maybe they'll, you know, maybe they'll, you know, hijack the school bus and, you know, shoot everyone. This I mean, there's so many ways that wicked people can do wicked things. You take all their guns away, they, they you know, they'd still find ways to do wicked things. So it's, it's more of a, I mean, the truth, it's, it's a trite thing that's easy to say, but I mean, it's, it's, it's the truth is it's the gospel that, that you need. Um, the, the power of the gospel, you know, restoring these things that have been broken down, uh, you know, the idea that life has value, um, that we are different than animals, that, you know, restoring the relationships of parents and children, um, you know, giving people, you know, hope to be able to cope with the trials in their life. I mean, even for unsaved people, if the message gets out, it, it, it has a big effect. And I think that's, you know, you were saying, you know, the gospel, and obviously the gospel is the only thing that saves, but there's real power just to truth even, right? Which isn't separate from the gospel, but when we talk about the gospel, some of it is we just need to start speaking truth, we need to start going back to, you know, sticks and stones will break my bones, but names will never hurt me, as opposed to, oh, no, you said something that hurt my feeling. Vi- you know, the silence is violence if you don't stand up, right? I mean, there's all these things that we've started to accept in our society as true that are just blatant lies. And, and you know, and you can't separate that from the gospel because Jesus Christ is the truth. It's so the second I don't mean half of the that. Great Commission. Right. Teaching them to observe all the things I've commanded you, right? I mean, and it's, we need to start teaching truth to our children. And I mean, you made this point earlier, but I'll steal your point because it was a, a good point that you made this earlier oh. in my afternoon, or in my office this afternoon. <laughs> and it was from Psalm 127, 4 and 5. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with their enemies in the gate. Children are weapons. That's what God says they are. They're weapons. And how we train and teach those weapons will have a huge impact on what damage they do. Right now, we're teaching them things that indicate, well, if you're that upset with the world, you should go change the world. So you should go shoot up a school. And your life doesn't matter that much. So if you want, you know, the most important thing is to be famous. The most important thing is to have Instagram followers and Facebook followers. So, hey, if you want to be famous, nobody gets more famous than somebody who goes and shoots up a school. Right. And we teach them all these things. And then we go and they become a weapon. And we go, well, why did they become a weapon? Well, we should think about it the other way. They are a weapon. How do we train them so that they're useful to do good rather than to do evil? And there's some really practical things that that dovetail with what we were saying earlier about parents having responsibilities for the education of their children. When you look at these children who are young men who go into schools and you say, look, broken families, divorced parents, father absentee, you can say, fathers, you have got to take responsibility in particular for your sons. Um, You know, that's that's one way that you stop school shootings is you have fathers who care enough about their sons to discipline them. And, you know, if a father had a son that was suicidal, I mean, the answer isn't just, you know, make sure he doesn't have a gun. Um, I mean, the answer is how do we actually get him to a place where he's not suicidal? And, you know, right. if you have a young son, you're going to say, how did I raise this child? Are there ways that I should be raising my younger son so that he doesn't turn out like his older brother? 
And, you know, and uh, when you have, you know, people who will go and just kill random people, you know, it's it should be a wake up call to say, how is our society producing these people and what needs to change? And, this, and, and, and the solution is not to say this is society's problem. This is and, and, and society can't fix that problem. The way you fix that problem is one father starts dealing with one little boy and makes him into a man. And part of it is even like when you had the one room schoolhouse where the teacher had to deal with how how he trained the the first grader, he's going to have to deal with that for 11 years. And so he has a lot more vested interest. Now that's not how our system works. The kindergartner teacher hands him off to the first grade, second grade. You mess up the child. It doesn't matter. We've eliminated the feedback loop. And the reality and is, responsibility. is with that, right, because you don't see that this is the cause of your actions. But when it's put in the parents, the parents do deal with their children over the over years. Right. And so they do, like Joshua was saying, as if their older child is doing this, they go, I better not do the same thing with my younger child because this did not work. And you get a feedback loop that the experts want to say, oh, we know more about education. But the reality is they've eliminated their ability to gain knowledge about education with how they've set up the system. And I think we're going to do a podcast on this. I think the next podcast will be on this, which is really pride and self-esteem. But when we when we teach young people that the most important thing is themselves, we should not be surprised when they go, the most important thing is for me to be famous, so I'll shoot up a school. We should actually go, hey, they learned the lesson. They learned what we tried to teach them. And so as a society that wants to tell people that you should get a participation trophy and that you should, that everything you do is great, that whatever you think is right. When you do that, you're creating a society that will be filled with people that go, it's okay for me to shoot up a bunch of people. That way I'll be famous. Most important thing in my mind is to be famous. And so we just need to recognize that these things that we teach in school are so destructive because they're lies and lies that are contrary to how God ordered the world, that they end up with confusion and destruction. I mean, that, that in the end, the one true mental illness, if you wanted to talk about it, is believing lies. You know what I mean? I mean, there mm -hmm. is this part of it where, I mean, this, you know, and I think there's this part of it where we, we pretend like it's because of all these other things, but in the end, it's, it's believing lies and continuing to believe them. And you, and you double down on your lies and you double down and the lies increase and the lies increase. That, that is, that is sin. That is mental sin. Mm -hmm. And, and frequently we've, we've decided to call it mental illness and switch it to all physical causes because sin causes f other physical problems. And so there is this part of it where, I mean, we're we are like you said we've created a system that is good at perpetuating this sort of problem and, inc and increasing it dramatically and the bible tells us right in james 3 14 through 16 but if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your heart right to be self-esteem means we're teaching them to be self-seeking do not boast and lie against the tr truth this wisdom does not descend from above but it is earthly sensual demonic for where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. We teach them this is good, and then we're surprised when it's earthly, sensual, and demonic. Right. We're surprised when confusion and every evil thing are there. That's what the Bible says we'll get. So we should be going, well, we got what we sowed. 
Uh, we reaped what we sowed. Yeah, and if you've been thinking that we've been making slippery slip arguments, here's what the Bible has to say. If you start with self-seeking, you end up with demonic confusion and every evil thing. And if you want to think that school shootings are evil, this is how you get them. When we look at things like school shootings, we should recognize the Bible does have answers to these things. But sometimes those answers aren't this quick. Oh, we can solve the final result of what we've got. Instead, a lot of times what you have to do is look back and say, how did we get here? We got here by teaching things that are demonic. We got here by teaching children that instead of seeking the best of others, they should seek things for themselves and they should be the center of all things. Our society is just going to continue to collapse unless we repent of this. Thanks for joining us. This has been The Conquering Truth, a project of Reformation Baptist Church. If you found this helpful, you can visit us online at theconqueringtruth.com and subscribe here or in your favorite podcast app. Thanks for watching.